I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Today's episode is about a young, hopeful, and talented young woman whose life was cut far too short in a surprising act of violence by someone she had loved and trusted. The trial of her killer that would follow and the ultimate outcome would shock the family of the victim and leave the public wondering if the criminal courtroom is really a place where justice can be found. This is episode nine, the Dominique Dunn story. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Women and Crime. So, Amy, we'll ask while we start off, do you know who Dominique Dunn is? I know the name. I don't know the story. Okay. Have you heard of Dominic Dunn? Yes, I have. At first, I thought you were just saying the name wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Which wouldn't be surprising, actually, for us, but okay. (laughs) So, okay, let's talk about Dominique Dunn. And you're right, there's Dominique and there's Dominic. So I'll differentiate. Dominique Dunn was born on November 23rd, 1959 in Santa Monica, California, to parents Ellen Beatrice Griffin, who was a ranching heiress who goes by the name Lenny. She always went by Lenny. And father to Dominique was Dominic Dunn, and he was an acclaimed writer and television producer. And she was also, Dominique was also the niece of a famous writer, Joan Didion. And she's, yeah, you know who she is. Yeah, I've read her stuff. Right. So Dominique comes from a very established, well-to-do family. 
obviously a very talented family mm-hmm. as well in the industry of the arts. Dominique was the youngest of three children, and she was the only girl. Her older brother, Griffin Dunn, is also an actor, and I didn't know immediately or connect who it was, but I looked him up, and once you look him up, you'll know exactly who he's in. He's been in a ton of things. The only th- the thing I remembered him most from, he was the teacher in the show, my the movie My Girl, and I'm not sure why I remember that, but I do. Anyway, so Griffin Dunn is still an actor to this day. Uh, she had another brother, Alex, and Dominique studied acting and was very passionate about this career at a very young age, and she was already successful by age 22. She had acting roles in the show's television shows, so I don't know if you remember Chips. It was a It was a cop show. I don't remember it well because... I know the movie because Dax <laughs> Shepard did a movie called Chips. Oh, you know everything Dax Shepard. Yeah, but I think he did it based on the television series. Oh, of course. Okay, so mm. there was Chips. Do you remember Hill Street Blues? Yep. Okay, how about Fame? Nope. Fame, the dancing? The, no, the dance like the, the... Oh my gosh. Sorry, but, I'm younger than you, Megan. Wow, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was like taking a bullet. Um, okay, so uh, she had acting roles in all of these and other television shows, but her big movie breakout role was in Poltergeist, released in 1982. Who was she in Poltergeist? Was she the kid? No, she was the older sister. Oh, okay. So there were three children, yeah. and she was mm-hmm. the eldest. So she had her breakout role again, Poltergeist, released in 1982, but unfortunately Dominique would never get to see it. Let's talk about what happened to Dominique. I'm sorry, how old was she at this time? At the time Poltergeist? Uh, or at the time of whatever we're about to, I'm assuming her murder is what... Right, so the crime we're going to talk about will be the murder of Dominique Dunn, and she was 22 years old at the time of her murder, Mm -hmm. so she was quite young and Mm -hmm. just just on the up, just on Mm -hmm. the rise. Let's talk about the crime, who murdered her, you know. Well, as I mentioned before, uh, the crime was committed by someone she loved and trusted. Dominique met John Sweeney at a party in 1981. Sweeney was a charming upcomer also working as assistant chef to fame chef Wolfgang Puck Hmm. at restaurant Ma Maison. Mm -hmm. And I don't pronounce that eloquently, I'm sure. But (laughs) he had come from, as I looked up, I think Sweeney was from Pennsylvania and he was from a very blue collar family. And he was looking to sort of breaking into, you know, the the L.A. scene. And he was doing well for himself. Mm-hmm. He was, you know... He working. was about the same age? I'm sorry. He was that. a little bit older. So Dominique was 22 and Sweeney was 27 at the okay. time. But still young and still uh, in, a, in a great position at, you know, again, famed restaurant working for Wolfgang Puck. Anyway, they did not date long. They met and they said it was like, you know, it was like chemistry immediately. But they didn't date long before moving in together into a one-bedroom house in West Hollywood. And I mean, I think they were only dating like maybe six weeks or two months, but it also wouldn't be long until they separated because John's possessive and abusive temper would quickly become apparent to Dominique and others around her. Dominique reported that John would not let her go to rehearsals alone. Uh, He wanted to go with her or anywhere alone for that fact. He accused her of lying constantly. He grilled her on her whereabouts. He grilled her on her friendships. He reportedly would wake her up and keep her up talking about all of these issues um, that he had with what she was doing at like 3 a.m. when she had rehearsals the next day. Uh, She reported that he was isolating her. I mean, all the things that she reported, by the way, are classic signs of abuse. Mm -hmm. And but then there was the actual physical abuse that followed because these are, you know, this isn't the, the actual physical act that's happened yet. So on one incident in 1982, during an argument, John grabbed Dominique by the hair, tearing clumps of her hair from her head. 
and a terrified Dominique fled their shared home to her mother's house. Her parents were divorced at the time. Lenny and Dominic would mm-hmm. divorce. And so she fled to her mother's house. But sadly, John came with flowers, apologizing, minimizing what happened. It's, it was a one time. That fits the bill, right? Totally uh, fits mm-hmm. the bill of classic abuse. And so Dominique would quickly forgive him and return home. Uh, I didn't see what her mother actually said about this. But of course, everyone in retrospect says, I wish we knew how mm-hmm. serious or I wish we knew how bad it was. Mm-hmm. Although her mother did report that Dominique was clearly very frightened when she came to the home. Mm -hmm. In a second incident about a month later, and this was in late September 1982, John grabbed Dominique by the throat and threw her to the floor where she claimed he tried to strangle her. But a friend actually interceded and likely saved Dominique's life at the time, Mm -hmm. came in to him trying to choke her. And Dominique called it quits with Sweeney right after this incident. Sweeney left the shared residence and done changed the locks. She was done with him. But as we also know, leaving an abuser is an extremely dangerous time for victims. Mm-hmm. And sadly, this would also prove to be very true for Dominique. So John has left the shared home. Dominique retains it. On the night of October 30th, 1982, just a few weeks after the split, Dominique and a male castmate were running lines in her home for her upcoming part in the series V. Have you ever heard of V? Nope. That was also one of my faves, just so you know. It was an 80s movie about people who, it was like aliens had come and they looked like humans, but they were really reptiles. So they would- Sounds like the worst movie I could imagine. It was a series (laughs) and it was amazing. They used to peel their skin off and there would be reptiles. Okay. It was like a phenomenon. It was a thing. It was a thing. It was only a couple seasons. But anyway, she was rehearsing for the series V. She had gotten a part. And uh, Sweeney showed up at the home, demanding that Dominique come outside and speak to him. Now, Dominique didn't want to go. I mean, she she obviously knew at this point it was going to be a hassle. It was going to be a fight. But she also had no clue that stepping out onto her own driveway would seal her fate. So in an argument that ensued in the driveway, Sweeney became enraged. And, and apparently he hit Dominique. And after that, he grabbed her by the neck and he choked her to death in her driveway. And the friend was still inside or the castmate? Yes, the okay. friend was inside. And I'll tell you what happened with him. Estimates from the medical examiner are that it took between four to six minutes to oh, strangle Dominique to death. Think about how long that actually is, because we're going to come back to that detail and okay. it will come up again. So keep that in mind. Inside, David Packer heard the commotion, and knowing how dangerous Sweeney was, he called the police, and he also called a friend, saying that if he was dead tomorrow, it was John Sweeney that killed him. Oh, he then exited the back of the house and came around to the, tr- to the front driveway where he saw John basically crouched over a lifeless Dominique. And John Sweeney yelled for her friend, David Packer, to call the police, oh. which is interesting. When the police came... So he didn't try to attack David. I would have been... He did not try to attack David. And I will tell you, David... uh, uh, I read some articles, and we'll cite the sources later, but I read articles that David took a lot of criticism for why didn't he... You know, why wasn't he the one who burst out sooner and saved Dominique? I I really don't think that's a fair criticism to level at someone, especially, you know, interceding a relationship. Someone comes by and says, let's talk outside. You jump out. It's not your place. It's not your place. I mean, he called the police. He Mm -hmm. called someone. He went outside when he felt it was safe. So I don't think there should be any blame cast on on him. But okay, when the police came, Sweeney quickly confessed. He said that he killed her. And he said something to the effect of, oh, wow, I really blew it this time. I went too far. I choked her. And then he said, but I tried to kill myself right after with pills. 
So he said that he basically killed Dominique and then right after he tried to swallow a bunch of pills to kill. On the scene? On the scene is <laughs> okay. what he said. But he said that he went into the house at some point, ran okay. into the house to get pills. That part of his story could never be confirmed. His behavior didn't support it. I don't know if they did toxicology, but certainly they couldn't find any evidence that Sweeney took any pills. Dominique was quickly taken to the hospital where she remained on life support until her death on November 4th, 1982, when her parents decided to move her from life support due to the lack of brain activity. Mm -hmm. So she survived for five days. Just so people understand too, Dominic Dunn, he wrote, one of the sources here is a story that he wrote for Vanity Fair. He, he chronicled the trials of what happened from the moment he found out his daughter had been strangled and was in the hospital. But he describes what it's like to see someone on life support, what it was like to see his daughter. Oftentimes there's these images like, oh, someone was on life support. So they're laying in a hospital bed and it's, you know, it's fine. It's like a quaint picture you get. But let me just say it. In Dominic's case, Dominic describes seeing his daughter. Her hair was shaved off completely so that a large bolt could be screwed into the top of her head mm -hmm. to relieve brain pressure. Her eyes were open and protruded, staring straight up at the ceiling, but lifeless. Bruises and swelling marked her neck. At some times, her body would jerk or react in a jerking fashion to the life support, and tubes were inserted and coming out of her basically everywhere. Mm. So this is the last image that the Dunn family would have of their daughter, Dominique. So I just wanted people to understand that it is not such a, it's not a pretty picture mm -hmm. at all. I believe that her mother, Lenny, uh, donated her organs and maybe Dominique was a, do I know she donated the organs actually, I believe kidneys and someone got her heart and that was the last act of her daughter. What would happen next would be the act of the parents following through with trying to see justice for Dominique. So what's going to happen now with John Sweeney? So John Sweeney was originally arrested for attempted murder because remember, Dominique survived for five days. But when Dominique died, the charges were obviously increased to murder. Detective Harold Johnston would work the investigation and would become an ally to the Dunn family in many ways. John Sweeney had a public defender, Michael Adelson, who also had assistance, though, from Joseph Shapiro. He was a private attorney who represented Mamizan, the mm -hmm. um, restaurant. And so he worked for a large prestigious firm. And so I believe that the owner of the restaurant said that he was going to help Sweeney. He described him as a young and courteous, talented young chef. And you're going to hear the way this this case was framed, which is very different than I think the, the reality of it. Stephen Barship represented the state as the district attorney. He had a very good reputation, but he would consistently be fighting uphill battles in this case. And Dominic describes him as someone who was a solid performer and they were glad, but he wasn't very warm and fuzzy at first. It took him a while to establish a good rapport. It took him a while to give the Duns his phone number. So they were all easing into their roles here. Sadly, around this time, too, I just wanted to, this is kind of a side note, but right after Dominique's death, an episode of Hill Street Blues would air. And in this episode, Dominique played a battered child. So her mother had beat her and she was in the police station. But the saddest part about this and what most of the world did not know at the time was that the bruises all over Dominique's face and throat in the episode were not makeup. 
they were real. They had come from an earlier attack, the one I described, in which Sweeney attacked her. So her. why wasn't Sweeney arrested for domestic violence? Because Dominique didn't report it to the police, which is not uncommon. We yeah. know of women who are abused as well. But you would think someone on the set would be like, hey, you look pretty bad. We should probably <laughs> report. There, there was a lot of talk on the set yeah. about the fact um, that, you know, Dominique didn't need much makeup or, mm. you know, and it was a, a very, very sad point for her parents because they didn't know at the time. Mm. They had only heard after and when they watched the episode, they knew that those bruises were real mm. in their daughter. So this was, you know, something that happened right after that that revealed the pattern that was going on here. Back to Sweeney. After many failed plea attempts and preliminary arguments, the trial against Mr. Sweeney commenced in August of 1983. So that's almost a year after Dominique's death. Judge Burton Katz, a young judge who Dominic Dunn described as stylish, good-looking, and someone who knew it was he was good-looking, comfortable with an audience and almost flirty with the jury presided over the case. The defense would win a number of early victories in this case. And although they did not win this one, Adelson, who was the public defender, requested that Lenny, Dominique's mother, not be allowed at the trial because it would create too much sympathy for the victim. Lenny was in a wheelchair because she had multiple sclerosis mm. and they tried to get her ousted from the courtroom. They didn't, They weren't successful, right? No, they okay. were not successful on that one. But it would not be the first time, just so you know, there would be a number of other times where the defense would try to get Dominic and his family, the brothers, removed from the courtroom. Hmm. Um, they were actually warned. You'll hear. So the interesting thing is the dynamic that will be laid out, too, between the uh, judge and the attorneys. But the family, the Dunn family, was warned on a number of occasions, you know, not to show emotion and not to. There are warnings in courts, mm -hmm. like, you know, if you can't control your emotions, but it seemed that it was more directed at the Dunn family, actually. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he didn't win this one. But they did win a couple others that would definitely impact the course of the case. So one of the major victories that definitely changed, I think, the trajectory here was the exclusion of the testimony of a young woman named Lillian Pierce. She was John Sweeney's previous girlfriend, and the judge allowed her to testify outside of the presence of the jury to see if her testimony would be admissible. So she testified in front of the judge and, and you know, in front of, mm -hmm. actually in front of the courtroom, just not in front of the jury. I never heard of that. Does that happen often? It does happen in some cases. Yeah, to determine admissibility. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, yes, let's just say she was allowed to testify in the presence of the judge and the attorneys mm -hmm. for sure with mm -hmm. a direct and a cross-examination. So what Lillian said was that John Sweeney had beaten her at least 10 times during their couple-year relationship and in two separate incidents caused hospitalization for a punctured eardrum, collapsed lung, and a broken nose. She described regular violence against her, and she described being terrified of the defendant. This is interesting. During Barship's questioning, he's the district attorney, of during Barship's testimony of Lillian Pierce, John Sweeney, the defendant, jumped out of his seat and ran for the back door, quickly subdued by a bailiff. A sobbing Sweeney was addressed by a seemingly sympathetic Judge Katz, who actually said, Mr. Sweeney, we know what a strain you are under, and who accepted an apology from Sweeney as if though he hadn't just tried to escape the courtroom. Why was it apparently too much for him to listen to? Like what was? 
he got upset by the testimony of his ex-girlfriend who's saying he's a, a violent mm-hmm. abuser. He gets up and runs, tries to run from the courtroom. That's crazy. And instead of, I mean, if someone had you done that. You could be like held in contempt of court for that. Of course. <laughs> so what happens is they subdue him. His his lawyer was actually yelling, don't hurt my client, which is interesting. And the judge is seemingly very sympathetic, saying, we're sorry. We know you're under strain. We know this is hard for you. <laughs> That's crazy. And so Sweeney, you know, he's sobbing and he apologizes to the judge. And the judge says, it's OK. Don't worry about it. No big deal. So, OK. Lillian Pierce was obviously afraid. Everyone in the courtroom was actually shocked and and pretty scared, I think, by what happened. So was her testimony admissible? So the judge decided that her testimony would not be admissible. For what reason? Okay. So the judge says that her testimony would be more prejudicial than probative. And we How hear so? this. On the a pattern f- establishes a pattern of behavior. We hear this um, when when there are questions about a defendant's past. A lot of times the past behavior is not relevant to the crime, so it's more prejudicial, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It just makes them look yeah, bad for us. This is directly relevant mm-hmm. to the pattern, to the way in which he inflicted these crimes. There's also no question that he, why didn't he just plead guilty? He admitted doing it. Why did this go to trial? So he was actually going to plead guilty. Um, there were a couple of times in which he considered pleading guilty, pleading guilty and but he would plead guilty with a stipulation from his attorney that he would only serve seven and a half years. So and they wouldn't meet that. So that's why he went. Because it's a short amount of time. No, but I'm saying years. and the prosecutor wouldn't agree to it. So the prosecutor didn't. So at one point, the Duns were approached about a plea deal and then they were going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, Dominic Dunn reported that because of Lenny's health, because she was seriously ill, he considered a plea deal. He didn't want her to have to go through this. Mm-hmm. And that deal somehow fell apart. I'm not sure why. Okay. And then a second deal was offered by their attorney in which John Sweeney, uh, the, the you know defense, in which John Sweeney would plead guilty, but he would only serve seven and a half years. Mm-hmm. And that the uh, district attorney yeah. rejected that okay. deal, of course. As they should have, yeah. I agree. That's that's not an appropriate deal, but we'll see what happens. Okay. Okay. So, so William Pierce's testimony, which would have been critical, it's out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Lenny would also testify in front of the judge, but outside of the jury, about an incident of violence in which Dominique fled John and her their shared home and came to her house, and she came injured. She came terrified. It was the incident where he pulled her hair out. Mm -hmm. And so Lenny had information about what Dominique had said and how she looked. She described her, you know, curling up in a fetal position out of fear. She described her being clearly terrified. And this is what Lenny observed. So Judge Katz ruled that Lenny's testimony would also not be allowed because it was more prejudicial than probative. I have an overarching question. What was the defense claiming? They clearly weren't claiming self-defense. We'll get there. Oh, because oh, I, sure. I can't understand what... Oh, sure. We'll Obviously, get there. they're not claiming he didn't do anything, but okay. Nope. We're going to okay. get there, though. Um, okay. By the way, the judge also uh, ruled that none of Dominique's friends could testify about the five weeks prior to her death about the incidents between her and Sweeney because of the hearsay rule. So who the hell was testifying in this trial? Well, one of the people who testified was John Sweeney, okay, the defendant. So Sweeney takes the stand in his defense, acting sweet, courteous, and emotional, crying, but never with that outburst and never yeah. violent, seemingly very sympathetic character, seemingly very remorseful character. Claiming that it was a mistake. So what he says is that he and Dominique had broken up, but they planned to reconcile and they were going to work it out. And when he came over that night, she, by the way, the, the plans to reconcile was not supported by anyone. Okay. This was completely unsupported. This is his story. 
when he came over that night, Dominique told him that she had changed her mind. Mm -hmm. And he said that he became so upset and so, you know, this was just, I was so emotional and so Mm -hmm. upset. My reaction was to attack her. But conveniently, and Amy, stop me if, if you haven't heard this one before. He couldn't remember the actual attack oh, on Dominique. Oh, he blacked out. Yeah, mm. you know the blackout. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Which was several minutes of strangulation. And he claims he's remorseful. I don't know what came over me. Okay. So his lawyer framed this always as a crime of passion. And always, he always called it the tragedy that happened, the tragic incident all around rather than a murder. Wow. And that's how this was framed. And that was that provided the framework for the whole case. Okay. Um, well, how was the cross-examination of him? Did the defense do a good job of trying to tear apart his... So the defense, you mean the, sorry, the prosecution. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, the prosecution. The prosecution, they referenced, uh, you know, did a fine job, and it, but he stuck to the story. Yeah. And he never lost his temper. Okay. Um, Which is so important. And they couldn't bring up the past incidents. Oh, don't you have a history of violence? None of that came into play. So they worked with what they had, and they... The prosecution did a good job, but also you're going to hear, and as Dominic Dunn would describe it, the judge favored the defense. They had, they had a previous relationship. The judge knew him. The judge did not favor Barship, but also it seemed as if though the judge didn't actually like him. Now I can't substantiate mm-hmm. that, not of course. All right, so let me tell you, you know, they framed Sweeney testifies. In the end, when Barship rested his case, so that was the prosecutor, Judge Katz would deliver the most devastating decision regarding the charges the jury could consider. So Judge Katz precluded them from considering first-degree murder and limited their consideration to second-degree murder or manslaughter. Adelson argued, and the judge agreed, that there was no evidence of premeditation, which I think was clearly a question for the jury. Yes, that's the whole purpose of a jury. And they're saying because he didn't show up with a weapon, because his hands were the weapon. That how, oh, how big was he compared to Dominic? Oh, he was Dominique. Sorry. Dominique, yeah, Dominique was five foot one mm-hmm. and a hundred and ten pounds. Okay, what about your size? Okay, Just smaller even. Smaller, yeah. yes. And John was, as I understand, six foot and two hundred pounds. Okay, so if you were doing like a self defense claim, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you need to consider sizes here, and like he clearly overpowers her. Well, that was the argument from the attorney too. The argument, or from the prosecutor, and obviously the Dunn family was this guy's weapons have always been his hands. He's yeah. a big guy and he used them he also as they understood it had a couple of drinks at mommy's on and planned to go over and confront dominique so i you know what i have to say though i do think it's a stretch i don't think the evidence necessarily supports premeditation i think he's a shithead this guy and he evidence might not i think the evidence would have shown that he i mean we talked about a little bit that he was planning to go over Mm -hmm. and so of course the defense would say he was just planning to go over and talk to her and of course the prosecution said he was planning to go over he was enraged she wouldn't take his calls anymore and he was going to confront her and if she wasn't going to take him back he was going to kill her yeah so either way the the jury should have decided the jury should have been able to decide they also, by the way, the defense also a couple of times painted Dominique as, you know, they tried to dirty the victim. So mm-hmm. they, you know, talked about a couple of times that Dominique went out and had too much to drink. Kind what of, does that have to do with anything? It has nothing to do with anything. But they allowed that in. They That's allowed that in. Absurd. So, and it really upset, obviously it upset Dominic Dunn and obviously it upset his family. So during one of the breaks, Dominic Dunn actually called Adelson a piece of shit to his face. <laughs> That's great. For which Adelson tried to get him thrown out of court. 
But the judge wasn't going Good. to. The At least judge, the judge did one thing. No, right? he wasn't going to throw the victim's father mm-hmm. out. And especially on one of the last days of trial, Barship warned Dunn not to do it again. But the yeah. trial was soon over and the decision handed to the jury. So mm-hmm. it became a non... Actually, Dominic did. You'll hear. He did yell again. He had an outburst at someone else. After the evidence is presented and none of the medical evidence is refuted, mm-hmm. you know, they had established that John Sweeney killed Dominique Dunn. He strangled her for four to six minutes. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. That's not in dispute. It's, you know, what level of premeditation yeah. or not was it? What level of murder? Okay. Mm-hmm. The jury went out for eight days, wow. which is a long time. Mm-hmm. It's good, though. You know, people what go, is? I'm sorry if you don't know this, but what is the difference? This is in California, right? Yes. What is the difference between uh, murder, uh, murder two and manslaughter? Because I know some states, the difference between the two is very slight. It is slight in some states. So I know that also when we teach it too, like um, second degree murder means that you did intend to harm the person. Yeah, but you, but you just didn't have premeditation. It. Exactly. But manslaughter fits that it does too, but it's, it's well. an emotional response in which murder wasn't the intended consequence. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, you know what I mean? It's it's a, a reckless act. It's an but I'm act. wondering what the how the punishment the, differs the intent, between the two. The punishment is, uh, there's a big difference in the a punishment. Okay. And the intent is really, you know, what the what the issue is, mm-hmm. just differentiating the two. Yep. But yeah, there's a huge punishment gap between the okay. two. So the jury was out for eight days. They asked um, for clarification on jury instructions several times. It was clear that they were confused. And I guess the judge kept telling them to refer back to the instructions. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I'm not clear about what the issue was, but I think they were definitely confused. However, when they came back on September 21st, 1983, they found Sweeney guilty of manslaughter for Mm -hmm. Dominique's death and misdemeanor assault for the earlier choking incident. The maximum sentence for the two charges, six and a half years, and with parole, Sweeney could be out in less than three. Wow, that's crazy. Wow is right. So, the family was probably outraged. Yeah, let's get to the aftermath here. After the jury gave their verdict, Judge Katz thanked them for their service, pronouncing justice served, <laughs> to which Dominic Dunn shouted at him, not for our family. Mm-hmm. And a clearly shocked Judge Katz told Dunn he would have his chance to speak at Sweeney's sentencing on November 7th. The press, however, was very critical of Judge Katz afterward. Yeah, I think this is good, too. This is when, you know, we like to see the press hold Mm -hmm. people accountable. So they questioned whether this was justice or a legal loophole. And Judge Katz was put on a list of the worst judges in Los Angeles. Awesome. I thought it was awesome, too. The day of Sweeney's sentencing, protesters took to the streets outside the courthouse protesting the verdict and the judge. So Judge Katz heard statements from everyone. And then pronounced the maximum sentence, which was, you know, six and a half years, blaming the jury for finding Sweeney guilty of a lesser crime than he deserved. So the judge blames them. We'll get to that in a minute. Judge Katz asked to see the Duns in his chambers as well after sentencing. Dominic reported that he was very curious what was going to happen. So uh, Dominic Dunn reports that Katz was very sweet to them both, telling them that he was shocked about the verdict and disappointed by a verdict that he had clearly helped shape from the outset. Mm -hmm. The verdict might have turned out a lot differently had Judge Katz not made some of these crucial decisions. His apologies, and he Dominic Dunn said he Judge Katz gave them his phone number and said, if you ever need anything. And mm-hmm. I think Dominic Dunn said, like, what the hell would I ever call him for? Mm-hmm. It meant nothing to the Dunns. And of course, Judge Katz would quickly be transferred to a family court following this trial. Good. Yeah, I think that was good as well. 
The Dunn family did not get justice that they felt, of course, but they did do all they could to fight for their daughter. And as they reported, or Dominic Dunn reported, talking to um, one of someone from an organization like the Parents of Murdered Children mm-hmm. who said to them, this is the last piece of business you'll do for your daughter. You have to go to trial every day and you have to make sure you do everything. This is the last mm-hmm. thing you're going to do. Lenny became active in the organization, the Parents of Murdered Children, and she founded her own organization as well. While Dominic Dunn would go on to become a famed crime writer, focusing on high-profile cases involving... So he wasn't a crime writer prior to this? He wasn't, no. He really didn't write about crime until he wrote about his daughter's case, and that was the first thing he he wrote about. Mm. And then he would go on to uh, work on several high-profile cases. So he does true crime. Yes. Mm -hmm. So he would work on... He focused the rest of his career or most of the rest of his career on high-profile cases involving celebrity criminal defendants, Mm -hmm. you know, in which there was maybe going to be a case of injustice Mm -hmm. and would someone get away with murder. So Dunn became a regular. He was actually offered a seat at the O.J. Simpson Mm -hmm. trial, and he befriended the Goldman family. He's a commentator too, right? Was he a commentator? He had a show, Power and, I I forget the show, Power and Justice or, Mm -hmm. you know, something. He he, he had a television show Mm -hmm. and he was a writer. And yes, he was a commentator to some degree. Mm -hmm. So he befriended the Goldman family, and he also uh, was the person who urged Mark Furman from the OJ trial, mm-hmm. you know, disgraced cop, but mm-hmm. still um, a good detective, as Dominic Dunn would say. He urged him later to reinvestigate the Martha Moxley murder. Mm. So um, Mark Furman did that, reinvestigated it, and wrote the book and was kind of integral, and that was really at the behest of Dominic Dunn. Mm-hmm. And Dominic Dunn would also sit in and write on other famous cases, so he worked on the Menendez brothers case and he worked on the Klaus von Bülow case and a couple of other high profile cases. And that's what he would spend the rest of his career doing. So what happened to John Sweeney? John Sweeney would be released after three and a half years and returned to a position as a chef in Santa Monica in a in like a high profile restaurant. But Dominic Dunn wasn't having it. I, I believe that it went something like this. He quickly got his himself and supporters over to the restaurant, passing out flyers, letting the customers know that their meal would be prepared by the man who murdered his daughter. Great. Yeah. So the position for Sweeney would be short-lived. Sweeney would eventually leave California and change his name. Dunn would follow him for several years. He had an investigator And I believe even after Sweeney changed his name, he got engaged again to marry someone. And I believe the father of that woman contacted Dominic Dunn asking, is this the same person? And I think so, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. even Dominic Dunn was, you never know, maybe he could have prevented another tragedy Mm -hmm. by by following him and keeping tabs on him. He had a private investigator who followed Sweeney for some time, but eventually he, he said that he had to let it go. He had hoped that something bad would happen to Sweeney before Mm -hmm. he died, and and that would be the end of that story. Mm -hmm. So Dominic did let it go eventually, but obviously it scarred their family tremendously. So do you know where Sweeney is today or what what he's doing? No, I I don't. I I did look. You know, he he moved. It was smart of him. Change your name, move. Oh, yeah. Change your name and move. And at some point, I think Sweeney claimed that Dominic Dunn was harassing him. Mm Which, you know, I don't know to what degree Dominic Dunn was following him or, you know, doing anything, Mm -hmm. but the claims never went anywhere. So I don't know what happened to Sweeney. I believe he changed his name. Call us. (laughs) (laughs) He changed his name, as I understand it, to John Morrow and had relocated far from California. Mm -hmm. 
So who knows if he has a family and maybe he reforms his life. I have no idea. Maybe he is among us and we just don't even know. It's possible. It's also interesting that this crime for which he paid very little, you know, did not pay much of a debt to society had a real impact on um, the Dunn family and the way they would go on to impact other cases. Mm -hmm. Dominic Dunn would become one of the best advocates mm -hmm. for celebrity injustice. So at the end, let's talk a little bit about our opinions, because I have a few on this. Do you want me to go first or would you like to go first, Amy? I mean, I could just tell you that I, I'm assuming you feel the same way. He, there was not justice in this case. I think there was a little sexism and, you know, the way they were trying to, you know, devalue Dominique's life. And like you said, there were probably some politics at play, right? Because they had the judge had a relationship with his attorney. And yeah, it's it's really shocking to me that they did not include the testimony of the former girlfriend or of the mother that is directly relevant to the case. I could almost see the argument for why they didn't or why the judge wouldn't have allowed Lenny's testimony. It was reporting an incident that Dominique told her. So it's hearsay, right? You know, possibly, okay. yes. And he also said it was prejudicial. Mm -hmm. um, I still think it should have been allowed. But Lillian I Pierce, agree. major, mm -hmm. major mistake. And we've talked about this. We talked about it in direct appeal all the time, how one decision, judicial discretion, mm -hmm. has the has the potential to change the course of the case. Had that come in, I think mm -hmm. we'd be looking at a very d different decision. I think regardless, I would have to agree with you. It was probably not first-degree murder. Mm -hmm. However, the judge should have at least let the jury I consider I totally that. agree with that. But I do think it should have been second-degree, not manslaughter. It should have been second-degree mm -hmm. murder for sure. And the, so what happened, I think I told you, was that the judge kind of blamed the jury. And then the jury blamed the judge, <laughs> saying, well, you know, we didn't hear about X, Y, and Z. Yeah. We didn't see this. The judge limited our decision-making. And they also said that the jury instructions were very confusing and that they asked for clarification but did not get it. Mm -hmm. So I think that Sweeney should have gotten second-degree murder. Mm -hmm. That would have been justice, I think. I mean, it still would never be enough for of the course. family. But what would have been an appropriate sentence? I, I really sat and thought about this. You know, wh what's the right sentence for someone who does something like this? And for me, the magic number probably would have been somewhere around 20 years. Yeah. I don't know. I'm putting you on the spot, I know, but... No, I think maybe... There's got to be a number that I think, meets the crime, so... I don't know. I think there's no, like you said, there's no number that could ever bring her back, right? So for no. the family, I think if something is not premeditated, I think we have a problem in our country with over-incarceration. And if you're going to give people 20 years for something that was not premeditated, then what are you going to give someone for premeditation, right? So to me, I think we need to back up all sentences, so... I think maybe 10 years with the possibility of parole. You know, I'm saying possibility of parole at 10 years. I think that would have been. Okay. So I wonder if you would change your mind if you were sitting in the court for the demonstration where the barship, he opened in his opening statements, very powerful, said, this man strangled her for four to six minutes. Yeah. We're going to sit here. Wait, wait. I want us to sit. They sat in silence for four to six minutes. That's a really good strategy. And it was Dominic Dunn described it as being the most horrifying point because you realize how long it was mm -hmm. and how it wasn't quick. Yeah. He had to sit there for a very long time. So I could even make an argument that there's a difference between a quick motion of a gun or a stabbing, yeah. four to six minutes of choking the life out of someone. Yeah, and, that's, watching. and that's a lot of time for you to change your mind. It's, and and yeah. that's the argument. It's a lot of time to change your mind. And that's why I went with a higher sentence as well, yeah. because you could... He could have backed off at any yeah, point. I, I, yeah, taking that into account, I think that's a valid point. Okay, well, I was just hoping Amy would agree with me at some point, so. <laughs> um, all mean, right. Regardless, if he definitely, like, justice was not served. Justice was not yeah. served, and we hope that, you know, well, we hope by highlighting some of these issues, we bring attention to points 
in the system that should be reformed or, or, or where there's a potential for mm-hmm. reform. So anyway, thank you so much for listening today. Thank Thanks, you, Megan. Amy. This was the Dominique Dunn story. And we'll catch you all next time on Women in Crime. Thank you. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Our music is composed by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, you can get access to ad-free episodes, exclusive AMAs, and other bonus content for a small monthly contribution through Patreon. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime. Sources for today's episode, Vanity Fair article, Justice, a father's account of the trial of his daughter's killer, written by Dominic Dunn, articles by the LA Times, and an article by People Magazine. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.